It's show 164 of the RIM Pro Report. Today, Dennis Barnett and the latest industry news. This show is sponsored by our good friends at O'Neill Software. I know I've talked about it here before, but I want to remind you again of the new O'Neill Cloud Service. As it sounds, this is a completely cloud-based service replacing traditional software, IT infrastructure, and all the hassles that come with it. O'Neill Cloud is 100% web-based and only requires internet access. This is pretty cool stuff in another industry first in May major development from O'Neill Software. If you're interested, you can learn more by visiting them at O'NeillSoft.com. So here's something to think about today. If you're, if you think you aren't creative, uh, go buy yourself a gym membership and see how many excuses you can find not to use it. Welcome to the RIM Pro Report. The one and only weekly broadcast for the RIM support services industry. Bustling with news, views, and the latest updates. This show is full of interesting information. So take notes. Now here's your host, Tom Adams. Hey, 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 we're into December and that means the holidays are coming quickly and the year is moving quickly towards completion. How are you? How's your year wrapping up? I hope you've done exceptionally well this year. And you know, if it's been more of a struggle, I hope that the struggle... And in the struggle, you've learned some things to make 2014 even better. Thanks for stopping by to listen today to our 164th show. In the last couple of weeks, I played the first two of three interviews I did on the stage of the European Information Management Conference, which was hosted by NAID Europe and Prism International. If you missed either of those first two interviews, be sure to check out show 162 with Anthony Pearlgood of PHS and uh, show 163 last week with Marc Delay of Iron Mountain, France. Today, I'm going to replay the third and final interview of the conference that I conducted with Dennis Barnett, the CEO of Oasis Group based in Ireland. Dennis is no stranger to this show and is well known in the greater rim industry. We had him on the show last year and I replayed that interview of his during the summer this year as it was such a great interview and had such great response. Uh, Dennis founded and built Access here in the U.S. and then expanded his sites on the European market with the acquisition and a subsequent growth of Oasis Group. This interview I did with him on the stage in Amsterdam provides a different focus than the previous interview on the show, so you're going to get lots of good ideas from it. But before I queue up that interview replay, let's get caught up on the latest industry news. Speaking of access, they just announced the wrap-up of their 59th acquisition, File Center Inc. of Salt Lake City, Utah. This is their first foray into the state of Utah. And uh, one of the former owners, Scott Whitaker, looks to be staying on with access to head up the new access branch in Salt Lake City. So congratulations to Rob Alston, John Chendo, and the team at Access on the acquisition, and to Scott Whitaker and Gene Lee on the sale of their business. Hey, a big shout out to our industry friends at Record Keepers based in Fargo, North Dakota, who are actually celebrating 20 years in business this year. Chad and Bill Speary started out the business in October of 1993. They've ex expanded the business to include a comprehensive range of services and even opened a second location in Bismarck. So congratulations, you guys. Good on you. That's what I love about this industry, the ability to create long-term su sustainable success. 
Finally, Archive Systems just announced the release of their new FileBridge platform, a complete way to manage, automate, and govern paper and digital business documents. There are three core components to the system, paper, digital, and governance. And uh, I want to say congrats to Gord Rapkin, Andy Cavell, and the team at Archive Systems on this new launch. Other than that, all is pretty quiet in the industry these days. If you've got anything you'd like to report, let me know so I can share it. Alrighty then, I'm going to queue up the Dennis Barnett interview. Hold tight while I do. Dennis Barnett is the CEO of Oasis Group. He's the founder of Access Corp. Uh, he's, well, there's all kinds of stuff, so we'll let him talk about that a little bit more. So, Dennis, give me your RIM services journey in a condensed form, because I know you've been at this a while. Condensed. Give, condensed. give me a little bit of your story. Well, I'm the small guy in the room, so I think it was Anthony somewhere. At the, I'm the small guy trying to act big, so we'll just start there. <laughs> uh, I've been at it for 20 years, uh, started in the U.S. Um, so, Farm, First American Records Management, acquired by Iron Mountain, great company to work for, which I did for a few years. Met my wife there. Um, I think what I do then. I started off with Archive America, and then I decided, I, you know, I thought I knew enough to start my own company. So I founded Access, and did that through 2009, and then turned that over to the management team, and decided to enter Europe at the lowest time of Europe's uh, economy, which was interesting. So I've been with Oasis. We bought Oasis in April 2009, and we've done five acquisitions since. So. That's the condensed version. So give me a sense of the size of Oasis <coughs> and your footprint and location. Where are you? Well, we only serve um, the UK. So the UK, Republic of Ireland, and Northern Ireland. So we much smaller than the groups we've been speaking to so far. Okay, and uh, what are you primarily record storage? What are your service offerings? The whole range? We do the whole range, but we are much bigger on the hard copy storage side. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So from a strategic perspective, as a company growing in the marketplace, what are the important value drivers in your business? What are you, what are you really trying to put out in the world? Well, like Anthony said, I think both, you know, it's funny going third, Anthony Mark hit a lot of the same points. It's, it's service, I mean, especially now. Back in the, back in the 90s, we, we grew 10% with no sales reps. It was really easy. Just The boxes just kept coming in. And, uh, now we have to differentiate. We have to talk about service levels and, and stay away from the commodity side. Um, what we're looking for is needs. So if I'm going in on a sales call, and I'll go in with some on, on the larger deals, and, and our, unlike Anthony's, he said his average hard copy was 20000 uh, a year spend. Ours is more like two to 5000 We look for mainly smaller companies uh, to service. But we'll go in, and what we're trying to find is why they want this service, whether it be destruction, uh, hard copy retention, um, uh, media rotations. We're always looking for a need. If we're just there on price, I mean, we've all been there on price, and it, it sucks. I yeah. mean, it, and somebody else will always try and do it cheaper than you. And we're trying to figure out what the differentiation is and what can we do? How can we be flexible? Mm. And so that's the big value for us is we, we put ourselves out as the company you can work with, grow with, and, and we're open to finding ways to help you save money, mm. but not necessarily being the low-cost provider. 
Okay, so, so you're really driving around. The value proposition is really connecting to what their needs are and figuring that out, but to a smaller company, it sounds like. We, we do. We, we rarely go after the large ones. I mean, it does happen. You get a tender, you're not going to not respond, correct? We're going to go after them, but we're up against Mark if we were in France, and, and I don't want to be up against Mark in France, and it doesn't sound like they'd be fun. <laughs> um, but what we're doing, we just, we won one recently that... Their biggest pain with their current vendor was they weren't flexible. They wouldn't deliver at 6 a.m. in the morning. So I'll deliver at 6 a.m. in the morning. That was their biggest pain for 35,000 boxes. We won it because they wouldn't deliver at 6 a.m. Wow. wow. Simple. Wow. So uh, I know you like metrics and measurements. I do. You, I'm you, a numbers person. You, I'm, I'm not the sales side. I'm the, I'm the operations side. So what are the important metrics that you like watching right now? What, what numbers do you watch like a hawk and which numbers are sort of secondary? And tell me a little bit of why those are important to you. Well, it's a macro basis because you can't build a business. And, and I, again, just to back up the history part, I build businesses for myself, my family, and my investors. And so we're not publicly traded. And none of the companies that I've, I've worked with, uh, except for when I was at Iron Mountain that period, were. So we're looking for long-term value, a very long-term value. So we're doing a lot of moves with buildings, uh, rack density, working with our vendors, trying to find the right density, um, the right operational efficiency to get things in and out. Uh, we're looking for staffing efficiencies. Does it make sense you know, for this person or that person or this team? We move uh, product and people a lot. So I guess if you're getting back down to the numbers I pay attention to, labor ratios, facility ratios, on-time performances, every, every week I get certain things that just come through the, the report system and, and we have uh, weekly meetings and talk about you know, why is this cost basis going up or down. And hmm. um, the biggest thing we find, and we do acquisitions, is we look at companies and we find they're out of whack mainly in labor and facility ratios. In other words, their cost basis for their, for their buildings is too high, or their cost basis for their, for their staff or team members is, is too high. Like one of the ones we acquired uh, years ago, I walked in and I just looked at the numbers and said, every time the phone rings, we lose money. I just, it was pretty quickly. I said, every time they call us to do any service, we're losing money. So we try and get those right size to make sure it so works. So is there an appropriate number like what's, I mean, because everything's relative to the situation, mm -hmm. but is there sort of a number that you're looking at? Sure, in a, there is. There's numbers I, I, there's numbers I need to get to to make my investments work. And right. so we, we borrow money uh, from banks and we have a lot of equity we put in ourselves. But so it, there, there is a number you have to get to and it's, it's like Mark, he'll tell you some things and some things right. he won't, so. Right, well I'm just trying yeah. to push as far yeah, as I, I know, can. Yeah, I <laughs> and I'll, and I'll, many of you know me. I'll sit down and chat with you about my numbers, where I want to be, and, and anyone. But it's from a, in the church, I just couldn't do that. I right. Uh, <laughs> confessions. Yeah. Confession is good for the soul, Dennis. Right. You've told me that for years. <laughs> so how are the numbers different now than they were, say, three to five years ago? Sure. Um, the biggest difference, I think we're probably all seeing it. If you're not, I mean, that's really unusual. I'd like to hear from you. The hard copy storage side has slowed down. Uh, you know, being in Western Europe, I, I understand in Eastern Europe, it's, it's still going uh, pretty well. But it's not negative for us. I mean, we, our net uh, accretion numbers are still positive, but they're a good 
three to four percent lower than they used to be before the big recession. Um, but the bigger change for me, and we expected that, we all, we've been planning for this. This is not news. We, you know, if you were, had your head uh, above the sand, you knew this was coming. What, what really has changed uh, that I didn't expect as much is that same product we have in uh, under storage is having less activity. I mean, a lot less activity. So where we used to see um, X of deliveries and pulls and refiles a, a month, uh, we are seeing half of X. And hmm. so, so then you go back and you look at your client base and you understand you know, the medical, the legal, the financial. And uh, what we found in particular, we were, we were pretty heavy in financial and medical. And the medical didn't really slow down. You couldn't stop the people from going to the, to the um, doctor's office. But the financial definitely dropped off considerably as they were going through their struggles. Uh, and we're waiting to see how that, how that plays out long term. Um, but... I think overall, we, you know, we obviously don't expect hard copy storage box growth to take off again. We don't, right. we don't see that. Uh, but we also don't think it's going away. I think, you know, that we wouldn't be continuing to invest in the industry if we did. But it, it seems to me what you're saying is that it's not growing exponentially like, say, it did back in the 10 15% internal growth days. Mm -hmm. But let's say a big client with 10,000 boxes, mm -hmm. um, is there something different about the way they're acting a ten to twenty thousand box account? Is, is has the last few years done something to those businesses? Yeah, I was, I was talking to to Norm last night about this. I, I, I call it the right sizing. I think we're going through a right sizing right now, hmm. where if you have a uh, let's say a, a law firm and you have twenty solicitors and you store twenty thousand boxes on average, that's what that they did. Let's say a thousand per, per solicitor, and I'm making up the numbers, but. Right. It seems now that through their business process improvements and through digital uh, solutions, they now only need 15,000 boxes. So we're right-sizing. We're getting them down back to where they really need for this next era. I don't know right. if the, I'm not smart enough to say that I know the era is three years or five years or 20 years, but, but we're, we're, we're helping them. And it's a process because we sit there just like this and say, we understand you don't need as much as you have in archive, but how are you going to decide what you want to get rid of? And what do you want to go digital? What do you want to destroy? So we're seeing a lot more project revenue, a lot hmm. more project revenue right now, trying to help people understand what they have been just piling away for 15 years. And by project revenue, you mean those kind of conversations that create projects to right-size them? Correct. Okay, very interesting. Um, besides the, the, the major services, are you seeing opportunities outside of the four major services to expand offerings, or are you sticking with the, the knitting? Well, it's both. We see them, and we, you know, we, we Anthony mentioned it, we're looking at some, but I think we're sticking where we're at for a little while. I just, uh, I don't know if we're going in, you know, we could buy something that is the next eight-track tape from a digital standpoint, and we're not big enough. We're not Iron Mountain. I can't throw you know, 100 million euros at something and, and hope I'm going to be the leader in that. Not that they did that. I'm just saying I don't have that kind of cash to do that. Right. So right now we're kind of watching a little bit and we're going to stick with our bread and butter and uh, for a little while longer. Okay. So legal. Legal has always been, a, and not clients, but the legal implications of um, the care, custody, and control of people's stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, is obviously an important factor. Is that growing? Is it diminishing? How, is, how, is, how are you seeing that? 
Well, I don't, I don't think it's changed. I, I, I think um, Mark mentioned that you know, people are concerned with security, and I think that's growing a lot about the concerns around um, control, access, uh, just documentation of, of their records for a period of time, who has touched it. That's increased awareness-wise, but the legal side hasn't, hasn't changed. What, what's interesting, because we do acquisitions, is I still find, I, I, I'm still shocked by this, we still walk into companies to, to look to acquire and find out they're not contracted. And I, I don't understand that. I, I don't, how could you do business to not have a contract with your clients? To protect both parties. Right. So um, that's never changed the need for that, but I still see people that have multiple clients or majority of clients without contracts. And contracts that are acquirable. Well, we can, go into, we, can go, we can go into long discussions about how that gets pulled off. Right. Uh, but there's a, there's a valuation issue if you want to go right. to Right, and I'm not talking about the valuation, <laughs> but you as an acquirer would walk into a potential business and go, there's no contract. Right. So what am I acquiring? Right. Yeah, that's a whole other discussion. I mean, you have to go through there. We, we did an ac a small acquisition in Galway that uh, he had a lot of contracts missing. He's a great guy. We have a great relationship. But part of the, the deal was very delayed because he had to go contract them. And so we, that was part of the earn out and part of the, the transaction is he had to get this done because he just was, he was a good relationship with all his clients, handshakes and everything, which is, I like that, but I can't do business that way. And, and uh, uh, so we, we had to get that done before we finished the completion. Right. So people have always been an important part to you because you, you've been in operations, you've already said you're an operations thinker. Right. So how, how do you create the best people force? How do you create um, labor, good labor cost basis, but also great labor, great staff working for you? What are you doing to improve the people part of your business? Well, I, I think it's a, you offer a culture. And this, this goes way back in the U.S. days and, and followed into Europe. It's, it's a little more difficult in Europe to do it sometimes because of uh, certain labor laws are, are a hindrance. We, we don't necessarily pay low. We actually, we consider we, we have good benefit and, and compensation package, so I put that aside, because I, I, I want people to come to work and not be worried about paying their bills. So we, we really want to be on the high side there, actually. Um, what we try to be is efficient with people. In other words, I often say, the best benefit we can give our staff is time. Flexibility and time. And so I'm, I'm not a clock watcher. Anyone, there's a few people here that would actually work for me. I do not watch a clock for anyone. I mean, I don't care if they have to go and, and coach football on Thursdays at 2. It's just, it's, that's a value. So we, we build a culture around we care about you at work and care about you outside of work, and we try and give that flexibility. Um, and then, of course, give you know, good compensation, good benefits. But if, if, you, you know, if they don't want to get up and come to work that day, because of the environment they're in. They're not going to and or they're gonna create problems within that environment. Right. Right. So we, it's just not a good fit. And uh, we, we, don't, uh, we don't have, we just don't have labor issues in general. I mean, we're, we have a good time. It doesn't mean we haven't had to fire somebody. I guess we've all had to do that. Right. But, uh, but in general, we try to give a great culture that people want to be there. And then because of that, I guess to get to the end of the question, because of that, we then ask them to be more efficient by, um, we, we could add a client or reroute some things and not add additional staff or not bring in temporary staff. We'll have open discussions how we can do this with just the staff we have there. So create efficiencies by loyalties in that culture. 
And, but you were saying about projects. So projects are coming. Those inevitably take more staff, don't they? They do. At, at times, we, do, we, we definitely temp up for, for those staff uh, if we can. Some things I won't allow a temporary staff member to do. Um, but, you know, that's, again, that's one of the things we look at when we go to look at a company. They'll get up to X amount of, of staff instead of using some flex staff during the times that are high and low. So we're, we're big believers in bringing in flex staff and, and the ones that are permanent or really are permanent. So from your perspective as someone acquiring, like right. our two previous uh, guests, um, is the well dry in Europe? Is it still pretty competitive for acquisitions? Is, it still, is there still opportunity? I wish you'd ask them that. Um, uh, I want to hear their answer too. Um, no, absolutely. I don't think the well's dry at all. I mean, we're we're actively looking. We went through, and again, since here's everyone's here to learn. We went through, I mean, real pains in 2009 to you know 2000 through 2012, where just the debt market was ridiculous to to go out and acquire companies using debt, which is our normal way of a portion of equity, a portion of debt. And so we slowed way down. I, I didn't have a bucket. It was Anthony, I think, had a little bucket on the side. I don't have a bucket. I actually have to look at each deal on its own. And uh, um, so we did every acquisition with 100% equity, which is not normal, tell you, not a, a great way to do it. But we decided to make footprint and, and get that done. And then we stopped and said, okay, now we have to wait for the markets to open up. And we put out a debt memorandum out to several banks in the US and in Europe. Uh, the first part of this year, we had an amazing reaction to it. Hmm. And uh, we actually have two lenders we've signed up to be able to go back out and do acquisitions with that again. So that we're, we believe there's uh, ample opportunity and we've, uh, we've got a lot of dry powder now to do it. Good, oh, that's great. So uh, this, this question is one that I asked both, other, uh, both of the others, both Mark and Anthony. Um, if I took away your business that you have now, Okay. So Which Oasis one? is gone and Access is gone. Okay. You took I took those away and so it's yours, Nate. You can have the Access one. <laughs> and I and I put you in a new city in Europe. How would you build a business? What What would you go about doing? Or would you even do it? I'd retire. Um, no, I. I actually liked uh, I liked uh, Mark's answer to all that, but. Reality is, unless I was willing to move my family into Eastern Europe, um, Latin America, or India, I, I wouldn't build one right now. Okay. Um, and I'm, I'm not willing to do that. I've, I've moved enough. And so, um, you yeah, know, I'd retire. Okay. To so be honest go. with you. <laughs> All right. And I, I think one, <laughs> one additional important question is uh, if you could go any ski hill in the world. Ah, oh, this is for me directly. Which one would you choose? Uh, this is probably, it's actually not the best ski hill, but it, it just instantly I go to Whistler back home. Too many memories. First, a lot of firsts in my life are there. So in go Whistler. Back. Yeah, Whistler. If you, if you haven't been there, it's an amazing place. It's, it's really fun. Oh, Canada. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Dennis. Yes. There you have it, another valuable interview from the European Information Management Conference, but actually just another great uh, opportunity to learn some cool stuff. I appreciate that Dennis has such a unique perspective in the way he looks at things. And uh, one of the things I've always appreciated about him is his just uh, overt willingness to share it. So uh, 
I'm grateful to him for the uh, role he played in the event I did in Amsterdam. And thanks to you as well for joining us. I appreciate you coming whenever you can to hear what's going on in the world of RIM. I'm also incredibly thankful to O'Neill Software who sponsor the show. O'Neill is committed to creating great software for your RIM service business. But more than that, they keep pushing the envelope in the development of products both for what is required today, but even more importantly, the stuff that will be happening in the industry tomorrow. And uh, it's really RIM software continually being pushed forward. So if you're interested in that, you can learn more about O'Neill and their software at O'NeillSoft.com. That's it for today. We'll be back next week with another great wrap-up of this European Information Management Conference with actually a panel discussion that's pretty rapid-fire, and I think by um, joining us, you'll, you'll learn some other great stuff. So that's it for us. We are out of here. Thanks for joining us on the Rim Pro Report with Tom Adams. If you enjoyed the show, please tell others. Our website is www.rimproreport.com. This broadcast is produced and hosted by Flourish Press Inc. Join us again soon.